everybody. Welcome to the Down South IT Podcast. Coming to you live, kind of, well, pre-recorded, from the heart of South Louisiana, where the only thing that's more popular in the summer months than the food is the air conditioner, and that's pretty popular right now. My name is Clark, and today we're going to take a trip down memory lane, and being that it's 2019 and we're about to break into a new decade I started wondering about how far we've come, not only in the last five years with all the different gadgets and tech and cloud space and everything else that we got, but how far we've come in the last 20 years. So I wanted to kind of pull on your heartstrings a little bit, go through some of the tech that came out, came out way, way back in the day in 1999, because when somebody refers to back in the day, they were referring to 1999, so... I know the the nostalgia is going to run deep in this episode, guys, but let me tell you, it's going to be worth it. So just a little bit of housekeeping on top of everything. Uh, you still have a chance right now to go ahead and get your entries in for that Roku Express Plus. You can see the unboxing video on the YouTube channel, and I also have it on the giveaway page. If you go to the website, downsouthitpodcast.com, you can either wait for the pop-up and click the bright red button, or you can go straight to downsouthitpodcast.com forward slash giveaway. That'll take you straight to the page and you can see the video of the unboxing of the one that you're going to receive. But most importantly, at the bottom of that page is where you put your name and email address in to win it. And you can enter as many times as you want to. The more you do, the better chance you have to win. Head over there now, get your entries in. You have until 5 p.m. on August 31st. That's going to be this Saturday. So from when this podcast drops, that's going to be this Saturday. Five o'clock on Saturday is when you have the last chance to get your entries in to win this. I'm doing the drawing at six o'clock and I'll announce the winner between 630 and seven. So keep an eye out on your email and your Facebook pages because that's how I'm going to contact you. And I'm also going to post the winner on the show page on Facebook also. Once again, that's downsouthitpodcast.com. Click that button or go directly to it. It's downsouthitpodcast.com forward slash giveaway. And speaking of the Facebook page, don't forget, check out the Facebook page. I'm always on there posting stuff, forwarding articles, funny pictures, stuff like that. So if you haven't seen it before, go check it out. Uh, Give it a like and a follow while you're there. Make sure I, I know you stopped by. Recently, I was actually able to get my hands on a third generation Echo Dot. So I've been doing a kind of a two-part series on the differences and kind of a grudge match between the Google Home Mini and the third gen Echo Dot. But one of the cool things that I found was that you could actually listen to the podcast right on both of them. In the instance of the Google Home Mini, you just say, okay, Google, Play the Down South IT Podcast by Clark Martin. Boom, it'll start playing for you. For the Alexa, the uh, Echo Dot, it's a little bit different. You have to go on to your uh, tablet or phone that you set up the device with, and you have to enable the skill uh, for any pod, A-N-Y-P-O-D, and you just connect that to your Amazon account. Once you do that, then you can just say, Alexa, have any pod play the Down South IT Podcast by Clark Martin. And boom, most recent episode to start playing. Very cool. I wasn't expecting that I was going to be able to do that, you know, with the little torture chest that I've been running. But it is very cool that you can actually do that without any, you know, a whole lot of extra craziness. So 
And one last item, too, before I get uh, started with all the fun stuff. Along with all the current platforms that the pod's on, I was also able to get it on Podbean. So if that's something that you use, you can get it there as well. I have the link up on the website, up uh, at the top and at the, the footer of the page. So if you if you need the, the link, it's right there on the website, downsouthitpodcast.com. You can check it right there and get right to the show page on Podbean. So now that we've gotten all of that out of the way, now we can get to the fun stuff. So get ready. We're going to take us a step back in time. Pretty good long step back, actually. But close your eyes. Take a deep breath. Relax. And what the hell was that? Okay, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Sorry, I had to. I had to. I couldn't resist. But anyway, (laughs) so let's jump in a little bit. 1999 and the turn of the millennium. And I was a high school junior. Man, that was a long time ago. But just to put you in the right frame of mind, here are a few stats and some pop culture highlights and stuff from that year. And this is actually according to the peoplehistory.com. The average cost of a new home was $131,750. Uh, average home income per citizen was 40810 Cost of a gallon of gas was $1.22. We need to go back to 1999. Like, seriously, go back to 1999. This $2.50 and $3 gas is for the pits. The average cost of a brand new car was $21,050. A U.S. postage stamp was only 33 cents. They're up to, what, 46, 48 cents now? Where the hell all that money's going? Aren't they getting subsidized by Amazon by now? Back then, 1999, the euro was actually created. So we didn't have a euro, if a current, a singular currency for the European Union until 1999 back then also lance armstrong won his first tour de france so spongebob squarepants made its uh, premiere on tv so if you're fans of spongebob it's been on a long time but and we still love spongebob and of course if you talk in 1999 who could forget bill clinton and how he was acquitted of perjury, and that was dealing with the whole Monica Lewinsky blue dress Oval Office fiasco. I won't get into that too much, any you know, because it's pointless. But anyway, also that year, The Matrix premiered, so the original Matrix movie, and the abomination that was Star Wars Episode One. Both of those movies premiered that year. Yeah, that's right. I said it. Phantom Menace is terrible. You want to fight me? Fight me. But that was a terrible film. I'm sorry. So there was a lot going on in 1999. And that was just a few of the highlights. But this is a tech podcast. So what was going on with tech back in 1999? So most computers, if you were lucky enough to even have a desktop computer at that time, because there were still a lot of homes that didn't have them. But if you did have one, nine times out of 10, you were running either Windows 95 or if you were lucky and caught one early, you uh, you had Windows 98. So, oh, those flattened, blocky windows of yesteryear. 
everything's so square and grid-like. <laughs> it's so much different than what we have now. Uh, also, we had Internet Explorer version 5 was introduced by Microsoft. So, yeah, this was way back even before Chrome. And the only other option that we really had back then was Opera. The Opera browser, which is still around today. That was about the only other thing that we could use besides the built-in browser that we had for the dial-up internet because broadband was not even a thing at that time. So the, the only places that really had broadband back in 99 was Silicon Valley, NASA, and it had a lot of the universities were starting to have it on campus. But outside of that, most consumers did not have broadband access. All we had was dial-up. And maybe if you were lucky in the right area, you caught DSL. Maybe. And for that, we had good old AOL. And who could forget AOL when you sign in? All of the fun noises that your modem would make. And as soon as the your main page came up, you got really disappointed if you didn't hear the phrase, you've got mail. Because everybody wanted to get email back then. Whenever you that that was that was the highlight of the day was to go back and check your email. I think now, 20 years on, I think email has pretty much become the vein of most people's existence. It's a necessary evil. But for the most part, yeah, we wanted to actually get emails back then. But speaking of schoolwork, how could we forget about Microsoft Office? which came out with their new version of Office 2000 back in 1999. And most of us, at least I know we did whenever I was in high school, we had classes on how to use Microsoft Office. So we went through doing spreadsheets and doing writing papers. And But to be honest, mostly what we did was just play on PowerPoint and create a bunch of different slideshows and everything and got graded on that. But... Now that I think about it, I'm sure if you're as old as I am, I know the young ones won't get this, but do you remember having an entire encyclopedia in physical book form? Because I know we did as as I did as a kid. And when you had book reports, anything like that, you went to the encyclopedia. You went grab what you needed and you looked it up right there in the house. If you didn't have that, you went to the library, did the same thing. But once desktop started becoming a thing, then you started getting encyclopedias on CD-ROM. And then suddenly everything was on CDs, you know, especially at this point. You had encyclopedias on CDs. You had music. You had games. You had, I mean, anything and everything was on CDs now. I think this was just about the same time that we had the golden age of the AOL CDs that came to you in the mail for free that you could not stop and couldn't get rid of. I'm sure there's a lot of you that remember those. And uh, I'm glad they must have used that. that That's so much landfill crap right now. But as we go, and like I said, everything was on CDs because basically the internet was so slow and the search on those were actually pretty bad, even though Yahoo was your main search engine back then. But the internet was still very slow. It was still very much in its infancy. 
And there wasn't a whole lot of research that you could do outside of a library. If you wanted something that had digital documentation or anything like that, you had to go to a library, use LexisNexis or some kind of service like that. So you either had physical books, CD-ROMs, or you went to the library. And that was your research for your papers. And speaking of that, do they really still have libraries? It's literally been decades since I've set foot in the one, so I'm, sure, I'm not even sure if they even have those anymore. But it's amazing how far we've come just from going from that to knowing anything that you want within a couple of clicks. It's pretty mind-blowing. So, But the biggest internet story of that year, 1999, would have to be Napster. Napster was a peer-to-peer file service. It was started in 1999. And basically, it immediately came under fire because all of its users, instead of sharing files and content that they owned, started pirating music and movies and books and stuff like that. So most of the users themselves were actually not really punished during this whole Napster deal. But Napster itself was hit heavy and hard by all kind of different lawsuits because they were the platform that the users were downloading the copyrighted material from. And like I say, a lot of this, at this point in time, with the internet still being very much not what it is today, it was mainly music that was being downloaded with Napster. And with dial-up being your connection, each song would take a really, really long time to download unless you were at a college campus which had broadband. This is where it ended up coming full circle and this is where the problem laid when college students found out that hey i can download a song in two to three minutes let's just go ahead and download as many as we can so they ate up all the bandwidth on campus downloading music so that's how this whole thing really got started and like i said if you think that downloading something now at one meg per second is slow to all of us that use Napster back in the day and some of the other peer-to-peer programs, you know, like LimeWire, Kazaa, Nutella, Audio Galaxy, if we got four kilobytes per second, that was fast. So, but anyway, all the trouble that Napster had got into started the digital revolution that we're in now. The record industry, especially when broadband internet got more widespread later on, the film industry, you know, they were actually forced to look into digital copyrights and intellectual property. They had to change their strategy to include digital options. Before all of this, before Napster, there wasn't a discussion of digital plays or downloads or streaming or anything like that. The whole industry was kind of blindsided by it. and Everybody was going off of CD sales and you know, to a lesser extent, cassette tape sales, because those were still a thing, even though CDs, out, you know, pretty much took them out. But anyway, until Napster, the whole industry had no notion of this. They were pretty much blindsided by the whole thing. And it was real interesting, you know, looking back on it and seeing exactly how all of this came about, because it, it, I remember it drug on forever and ever and ever. And tell you the truth, it only lasted for about two years because Napster started in 1999 and they were actually folded 
and forced to liquidate everything in 2001 and 2002. So it was only two to three years that everything went from Napster to all the lawsuits and craziness. As far as law goes, that's actually pretty quick. But there was a lot of different artists that came out, especially whenever Napster started with all the illegal downloading and everything. And probably the biggest one was Metallica. And the, the most vocal of that group was actually Lars Ulrich. And he was by far the most vocal person against, you know, the online piracy and downloading music and stuff like that. That gave everything a lot of weight, you know, behind the message whenever you got somebody with a big, big name known band like Metallica coming after you and saying, hey, you need to stop this and get this, you know, get something fixed because otherwise things are going to go crazy. And they really and truly within a year or two, by the time all of this was said and done with Napster, most of the companies had already started integrating with some kind of digital platform, which was good. They needed to change. This was the this was the onset of change. But for the whole for at with Napster itself, that was actually I don't I'm not even sure if anybody really knows what happened to Napster after that. But to give you a little background, after they were forced to liquidate all everything in 2002, they at an auction the logo and the name Napster was bought by Roxio. And that's a company, if you had a desktop in the early 2000s, you probably know that company name because they had CD and DVD burning software that came bundled on a lot of computers. And they rebranded and tried selling it as a music buying service called Napster 2.0. And that was actually, it didn't do so well, but it was actually bought again in 2008 by Best Buy and they rolled that into the Rhapsody music platform that they had already owned so they actually what they did was once they got the Napster and the Rhapsody both together they actually phased out the Rhapsody name because the Napster name was a lot more known worldwide so now they still have Napster and it's a it's still a on-demand radio streaming app that you can get. So you can still even use Napster today, but it is nowhere near what it was back in 1999. But of all the stories, all the stories that happened back in 99, probably the only one that was close to or just over as hyped as the whole Bill Clinton scandal was Y2K. And that story was so so overhyped because everybody was worried about the y2k bug most of the news stories started really kind of getting into their their doom and gloom mode around summer of 1999 and from what i remember a lot of the news outlets they made this out to be like the end of computers as we knew it for those that don't remember the whole problem was it was thought that a lot of databases and computer programs and different things would fail when the millennium hit and all the dates went from 1999 to 2000 because most things were programmed up until at least that point they were only programmed to use the last two digits of any given year so 1990 was nine zero 1991 was 91 and so on. And what they found was that 
when the clocks and computers and servers and everything would change over to the new year in 2000, the programs wouldn't work thinking that it was 1900 rather than 2000. And besides just the dates and times being wrong in some cases, some programs would crash outright. Some automated things that would needed to happen would not because the dates were screwed up. They made this out to be a huge, huge deal. And what ultimately was the fix was that most manufacturers were able to patch the software either by had patches for their specific software for their database you know and when in the case of windows it was they you know they sent up sent it up with the windows update all the patches basically just set the software to use the full four digit year instead of just the last two digits and that was probably the the most pure and prolific fix there were a few other ones that came that based on the hardware and software that that were out that needed to be done, but with all the hype, all the craziness, all the fear mongering and everything else that happened, you know, warning that, oh, when the, the millennium hits, everything's gonna crash, blah, blah, blah. It was probably a handful of failures worldwide once New Year's came around. So it ended up being a humongous, humongous non-issue. So while I was doing all my research for this podcast today, I did come across an old ad for a computer system and it was from a circuit city ad and if you don't remember circuit city they were kind of like best buy i found them a little bit better actually to be honest because it was them and comp usa were the two big kind of tech superstores of the time but i found an old circuit city ad and i actually i took a screenshot of it it's on the show prep that's on the website so you can check that out it's a E-Machines Cyrix M2 333. And this has, just to give you some specs on what was available back then, and this is probably going to make your head hurt, but 32 megabytes of RAM, not gigabytes, megabytes of RAM, a 2.1 gigabyte hard drive, 32X max CD-ROM drive, so not not even a CDRW, so it's not even a rewritable. It's just a readable drive. V90 high-speed modem, four megabyte video card. We run mostly in. I think the smallest video card I've ever seen lately that was still new was 512. Most of them are at least a gig or two now. Uh, it has a E-Machines 15-inch monitor, 13.8 inches are viewable, and this is the old CRT monitors, and I, don't, I know you remember those big old humongous monitors. If you've ever bought a new computer back around this time, when you bought a computer system, it came in either one gigantic box Kind of like the old gateways that were painted like cows. I know, I know, y'all know what I'm talking about. Or it came in one gigantic box and one little tiny box. And the big gigantic box was always the monitor. And that sucker is heavy and huge and hard to get around. And always the little bitty box was just a tower. 
And the tower for this, I mean, it's just a plain white, straight up tower. Doesn't look like there's very much of anything on it. Uh, it does have a power button. It, this one still does have the three and a half inch floppy floppy drive. So it does have that. It doesn't say it in the in the ad, but it does have the floppy drive. And it also comes with a Canon bubble jet printer. And that all that, all that for $549.99 after rebate. So that was after after $195 in rebates. It was $549. So yeah, lots of the desktops were not cheap back then back then. And just to kind of put all that into context, most of you, especially if you're listening on a mobile device right now, on a phone, the phone that you're listening on would blow this thing out the water. Completely and utterly blow it out the water. So all that, that whole entire system fits in your pocket now. How crazy is that? But anyway, let's uh, move forward a little bit. What, is, what about some of the other tech from back then? So I pulled up some more sales papers and I was able to find a couple of things. And some of these things are completely obsolete now. Some of these things are still, you can actually still get them. And some of them, a couple of, one of these you can actually, uh, some of the stuff is actually, you can, it's considered vintage and retro now. So, but anyway, we got a five disc CD changer. The big carousel that went down, and this was 149 bucks. They had a single disc DVD player. This was right when DVDs was starting to come out, and DVD and I forget what was the other format. I remember Blu-ray and HD DVD going up, but I know DVD and they had another format that was that was vying for it too. I just can't remember it off the top of my head. But a single disc DVD player, 349 bucks. Uh, they had a portable CD player, kind of like the Sony Discman, for $30, $27.99. This is the thing that's kind of coming back that's kind of retro right now. They had a four-head VCR. So even playing VCR cassettes was still the main way we got we watch movies at home, whether it was home movies or we went to a video rental place like Blockbuster, who's also pretty much defunct now but even those at this point were still $90 so even a, even a VCR was was still expensive in 1999 and then last but not least a mini tape camcorder was $329.99 and these were the smaller tape camcorders that had the little mini Betamax kind of looking tapes that you had to put in a bigger VCR tape, VHS tape, and then play it through that to be able to play it on the TV. And this ad actually didn't say it came with the tape adapter, but for 329 bucks, it sure as hell better. Because I wouldn't have paid that. Along with all of that, which was some pretty cool stuff, to be honest, guess what else made its debut in 1999? If you said Wi-Fi, you are correct. You guessed correctly. Wi-Fi officially became the name of the newest wireless networking standard that was introduced. And it was actually 802.11b was the standard. 
So this was before wireless GN and AC that we know today. This was the precursor to that. The one before that, A, was really pretty horrible and they really didn't use it. It wasn't very widespread. So, but B was kind of the next evolution and this is where it started making its way into not only the consumer market, but into enterprise and corporate, you know, and stuff like that. You know, people using wireless networking to be able to connect to devices at work. So this was kind of, this is the start of all of that. And most of these, the especially the wireless GN and AC, those have actually all been renamed now. They've been retconned <laughs> back to Wi-Fi 3, Wi-Fi 4, and Wi-Fi 5. So with the newest standard that just came out uh, being Wi-Fi 6. And they they decided to start dropping letters at the end of them and start using a simple number instead just to kind of keep things you know more simplistic. I did go through a lot more detail of that last season in episode 210. So if you want, if you want to know more about that and I go to a lot more detail with it, uh, you can check out the website. I go to the embedded player and look up episode 210. You can hear the whole thing right there. And of course, with Wi-Fi being a thing back in 1999, there had to be a way to protect that wireless data. So along with that same Wi-Fi B announcement came the announcement for the WEP protocol, the Wired Equivalency Privacy Protocol. And that was intended to keep all that data safe. Now, granted, that didn't take very long because two years after it was announced, back in 2001, they had three analysts did a cryptanalysis of WEP and were able to crack the protocol using off-the-shelf software that was already available to anybody and a couple of years after that, the FBI actually did a demonstration in 2005 and was able to crack the WEP encryption in less than three minutes. So, so much for security, huh? Got a few other things that happened way back in 99. TiVo was actually first introduced at the Consumer Electronics Show. Intel released their Celeron 366 megahertz and 400 megahertz processors. Megahertz, not gigahertz, megahertz. AMD released its K, K63 processor, and those had speeds of 400 and 450 megahertz. NVIDIA introduced their graphics processor and GeForce on August 31st of 1999. So we've had GeForce with NVIDIA all the way back for 20 years now. And one other fun fact, Microsoft introduced the IntelliMouse. That's the first optical computer mouse that was used. That's pretty. That's the standard today. We use optical and lasers and different things like that with mice as a standard now. But before this, it was the it was the giant rubber trackball. And if you're old enough to know what this is, you know how disgusting this thing was. When your mouse wouldn't move, you had to sit there and start picking stuff out of it and go rinse it under the sink and try to clear and clean it off. It was a horrible, horrible thing. And it was it was gross. <laughs> it really was. But it was that's all we had. So we had to make do. So and we had a few companies that all were also founded in 1999. Shutterfly was also was founded in 1999. Thermaltake, who makes 
very nice power supplies along with a few other goodies for computer hardware and EVGA were all founded in 1999. So, and last but not least, there were cell phones back then. If you really, really want to throw back in 1999, Research in Motion, company behind BlackBerry devices, introduced us all to the original BlackBerry and BlackBerry OS. It was one of the first standalone OSs for mobile devices, and it immediately got attention from corporate community because out of the box, it could sync with their corporate email servers, calendars, and do it securely. So right off the bat, they had a huge following just for that fact. To be honest, if you had one, I'm sure you remembered the trackball. That was one of the other neat niche things that this phone had. It had physical buttons, you know, just like most of the phones that at that time period did. It had a full physical keyboard and it actually the the BlackBerry keyboard is between the keyboard keyboard and the trackball. That's pretty much what kept most people using Blackberries all the way through until probably 2007, 2008 when Android and the iPhone came out and it started getting, you know, the, the smartphone race started taking off. But anyway, this little small trackball, you could use it to not only navigate around the phone, but you can almost use it as a mouse of sorts. And it worked really, really well on these phones. And the, these Blackberries had a cult following. They still, in a way, have a cult following. Some people just will not give up the BlackBerry. And I remembered a long time ago, right when these first started coming out, they had a lot more emphasis on phone addiction. And they started, that started to become kind of more of a herd phrase, you know. So between phone addiction and BlackBerry, you know, both of those started to become really synonymous. And I, and after all was said and done, you ended up with the nickname of Crackberry because there was so everybody was just had their hands in them and, you know, sitting there playing on them, playing on them, playing on them and everything. Oh, if they only knew what we know now about how much people are on their phones and don't pay attention. If they only knew. But it was unfortunate for Blackberry, but. This is this 1999 to, you know, 2004, I think was pretty much their golden era. And they're still around, but they are just an empty shell of what they once were. I mean, they're still making smartphones, but they're basically Android based phones with their apps and skins and stuff laid on top of it. So they're not even doing BlackBerry OS anymore. You know, it, it's just they that was their heyday, man. And they they took full advantage of it. They really did. So how are your nostalgia levels? Did they peak at 100 yet? Good. Okay, good. I'm glad I could help. There's been a really a pretty cool trip down memory lane. And I know a lot of this is near and dear to me because I've seen all of it and kind of lived and lived through it all. But at some point, you got to get back to the present and start looking ahead. And that actually segues wonderfully into how we need to look ahead to the end of this week. At the end of this week is the Roku giveaway. So go ahead and get your entries in now to win that cool little streaming device. You got until Saturday at 5 p.m., August 31st. If you go look on the Facebook page, I do have several different posts about it with the link on there, but it's downsouthitpodcast.com forward slash giveaway. Or if you just go to downsouthitpodcast.com and wait for the pop-up, that little 
click that little red button and it'll take you straight there. And speaking of the Facebook page, if you haven't been there in a while, go take a look. Give me a like and a follow if you don't mind. Let me know you stopped in. I'm always posting stuff on there. I do have a lot of links on there too uh, as well. I have all the links to all the different platforms that you can find the podcast on, SoundCloud, Google Music, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, now on Podbean. So if you have any other places that you'd like to hear the podcast, let me know. Uh, send me an email at downsouthit at gmail.com. I'll do what I can to get it on that platform for you. And thank you all again for listening today. And like I like to end every podcast, technology can replace the work of many people, but it can never replace the work of one extraordinary person. So go out and be extraordinary today. Thank you all again for listening. Head to the website. Get your giveaway entries in. I love you. I'll see you next time. Later.